Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our December heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for a Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is now live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. December's theme is Wrapping the Year Up with joy and happiness. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, animating, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Robert Atkinson, Ph.D., Robert is an award-winning author, educator, and developmental psychologist whose passion is the study of the connectedness of the human family. He is also the founder of One Planet Peace Forum and Story Commons, an internationally recognized authority on life story interviewing, a pioneer in the techniques of personal making and story and soul making, and a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle, a project of the Source of Synergy Foundation. Robert has authored nine books and has worked and collaborated with Michael Bernard Batwick, Gene Houston, Thomas Moore, Pete Seeger, Ira Guthrie, and Joseph Campbell. His books on life storytelling, the gift of stories, practical and spiritual applications of autobiography, life stories, and personal making and the life story interview has been translated into Japanese, Italian, and Romanian, and are widely used in personal growth and life review settings. Robert is a professor emeritus of cross-culture human development and religious study at the University of Southern Maine and director of Story Commons at USM. He was the first diversity scholar in the College of Education and Human Development and a co-founding faculty of the Russell Scholars Program and Religious Studies minor. Robert is also one of our featured expert contributors for our December Inspirations for a Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read his insightful and empowering story, A Path to Wholeness, in the Papa's Wisdom section. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Robert and I will be talking about his remarkable life's journey and his latest book, A New Story of Wholeness, an experiential guide for connecting the human family. Good morning, Bob. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mom's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Hi, Johnny. Great to be with you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, it is a pleasure. I'm doing very well. Thanks. Great. Great. Wonderful. Uh, a New Story of Wholeness is an excellent and insightful spiritual education read. It is beautifully written, definitely a heart-centered and passion-driven book, and the information is empowering and transformational. Thanks for sharing, and congratulations on his release. Thank you. Thank you. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I am, I am an only child, and that, uh, that pretty much defined my life from the beginning. But um, what did even more was that my life was telling a story before I knew it. My mm. mother told me that uh, parades of celebration filled the streets the day I was born. Not for me but for the first <laughs> atomic bomb that turned the world, a world oh. at war into a nuclear mm-hmm. village. My life became a subtle quest to find an elusive peace. So I uh, did the usual things during mm-hmm. childhood and adolescence, sports, fitting into the right crowds, all those kinds of things, even though I was mostly unaware of who I was or where I was going. 
it was almost as if I was sleepwalking through those early years. But then in college, I began to wake up more to not only the world around me, but what it all meant to me. And I began to think a lot more about where I really wanted to fit in. And then after a master's degree, I fell into a series of experiences that became a life-changing adventure. This was in my mid-20s when my own journey to wholeness began for me. And this included watching the first moonwalk, sailing with Pete Seeger on the maiden voyage of the Hudson River Sloop Clearwater from New York City to Albany, attending Woodstock, living in a cabin in the woods, meeting Joseph Campbell, who became a mentor, living in a Franciscan monastery, and returning to the college I had graduated from three years earlier to teach a course on folk rock lyrics as poetry. Through all this, I came to experience firsthand how all things are tied together with only artificial boundaries in a greater wholeness. And these experiences turned into a memoir and the foundation and framework for a lifetime of work around this theme. Then after all that, I got a second master's in counseling and a PhD in cross-cultural human development, did a postdoc at the University of Chicago, then had a career as a, as a professor at the University of Southern Maine, where I founded uh, the, the Life Story Center and started writing books about various aspects of spiritual development, like The Gifts of Stories, Mystic Journey, The Story of Our Time, and now this new book, A New Story of Wholeness. So that's a quick one, overview of uh, where <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I've always felt like life is a buffet line, so obviously you have sort of definitely flavored everything that they serve. <laughs> yeah, I, I was served up very nicely <laughs> and took advantage of being in the right place at the right time. The one thing that is out of curiosity is that who were the influences in your life when you were growing up? Because you were the only child, but then there's a sense of like you were on this thing looking for something. Yeah, that really um, began before I even knew it. But And, and so other mm-hmm. than my parents, uh, who were great influences in my life, my my grandmother was really the biggest influence in my life, mm-hmm. and, and she she came to live with, to live with us part of the year when I was around nine years old, and and I I became totally fascinated by her commitment to her spiritual life. She read mm-hmm. daily from the Bible in the upper room, mm-hmm. and there was something inside my nine-year-old mind or heart that wanted to know more about what I couldn't grasp than what what gave her such a sense of devotion. I didn't know it then, but what I observed from my grandmother made a difference, a total difference in my life. Cause, and around that time, while, that, while I was sitting on my bed one day looking out the window, a voice came to me saying, someday you will know God. I had no idea what that meant at that time, but years mm-hmm. later I realized that this was a metaphor as I've come to since understand that the supreme force of the universe is the unknowable essence, but we can know its manifestations um, through everything that we see around us, especially nature and the living universe mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. us. Very interesting. The What I could gather is that you grew up in there's a certain amount of richness in the environment that you grew up. Uh, you know, we always take for granted sometimes, oh, uh, yeah, the normal thing, right? Hi, good morning, this, and then we do our thing. At night we get together, yeah, hi, bye, we go to bed. But there's a certain amount of richness about the immediate family, like you say, your grandmother contributing to your cup of bowl of life, so to speak, right? <laughs> and mm, yeah. that's the environment that you were exposed to and so forth. What led you to be a curious child in a way of wanting to find out more rather than being satisfied with what you're given? 
Yeah, that's great. A, a great question. I think I think it's really was was inborn in me, and, and it um, it came out in interesting ways that I wasn't totally aware of at the time where they would lead. But but I was I was very much a curious child, and and uh, I um, I think I always knew that I was part of something much greater than myself, and mm-hmm. um, w- one of the ways that seemed to come out was that from an early age I was really intrigued by the mysteries around me and, and I became a reflective thinker long before I even knew, knew what that meant. So so growing up, I did have a really uh, 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 inspirational kind of uh, environment that I grew up in around the uh, potato fields and the woods and waters of eastern Long Island. I was mm-hmm. I was drawn. I was drawn to take regular walks in the woods near my home, and I remember those as special times that put me in touch with a living universe. And there was something about the woods, the stream, the trees, the leaves, and all of nature that gave me clues of a grand unity each time I entered that realm. And so this, this curiosity is also what drew me into the big questions of religion and spirituality that weren't answered in church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fascinating. That really is. And when did that love of wisdom take root? Well, really, uh, uh, I think it started um, even more so. It became more clearer to me in high school when um, two of my closest friends were Jewish and Catholic, and I, I was raised Protestant. So, Mm-hmm. My curiosity about the big spiritual questions of life carried over then, and, and we'd have, the three of us would have long talks about similarities and differences in our faith traditions, and, and many of those conversations stimulated even more questions. So by the time I got to college, I knew that what interested me most was philosophy. So I majored in philosophy, and that's where my love of wisdom really took root and grew even more to all branches of philosophy, comparative religion, and world mythology. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So what started out as a seeking of knowledge and understanding, somehow, somewhere in your beautiful, wonderful life's journey, it evolves into a lifetime passion. When did that occur? Yeah, that was over a long process as well. And but but at the same time, it was it was really something that was always within me, but I didn't always realize it or know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so when I graduated from college with, with a major in philosophy, there wasn't too much I could do with that. I thought at the time maybe I'll be a librarian. So I got into graduate school for a master's in library science. But after about a month of that, I realized I didn't want to catalog books. I wanted to write books. But at that point, I didn't have too much to write about. What I did know was that my deep interest in philosophy, religion, and mythology was leading me toward fulfilling that passion somehow. Then I got, when I got back to New York, I discovered a new master's program in American folk culture, and that was... Um, just in time to get into that program. That's very interesting, though. Why American folk culture? I know that at that time, America was going through, I mean, every decade, every uh, generation, so to speak, has its own richness. But probably Mm -hmm. that culture during that time, during that decade, the ripple effect, it's still being felt till today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, at, you're right. At that time, it was just really the beginning of, of uh, sort of the revival of, of folk music uh, becoming much more popular than it had. And, and, and um, that at that time, that when I found out about that program, it was really the, one of the first graduate programs of its kind. And I um, had already developed a strong interest in folklore and mythology. And I I grew up on folk tales and legends, and and I was very much interested in folk music. So I was deeply, also deeply interested in the archetypes, motifs, and patterns that folk tales 
and even folk music were built on. So I knew that there couldn't be a better topic for me to pursue a graduate degree in than something I was already so committed to, even though, again, I didn't have a clear plan of where that would take me next at that time. What's fascinating about that period also, I think in some ways that's where America, besides, I guess, winning the war and so forth, the concept of the identity of America is established in a way, in a unique way, that is. You know, I mean, we have always been around, but that's where you have that sort of cultural evolution, <laughs> the, uh, mm. the expansion of uh, our comfort zone. How's that? That would be the best way to put it, because we're, as a natural being, we are all conservative. And yet, as a natural being, we are all liberals in many ways, right? So, but <laughs> that's that <laughs> decade where that uh, expansion, so to speak, happened beautifully throughout the country. Yeah, and I think it did happen organically um, mm -hmm. because of the um, that whole thing that you're, you were just describing, I think, is really built on a cyclical pattern that happens over and over throughout uh, history in, in all cultures. And America at that time was ready for um, what many have called a, a social or cultural revolution, and, and that really happened so clearly and, and, and even more so in that particular time than maybe previous times and mm -hmm. and it did it did set a it did set a um, context framework and and uh, even strengthened that pattern of cyclical renewal of, of culture and society that happened um, in such a powerful way um, during that time how did that impacted you personally from a standpoint of it triggers you i mean you you like i say again you have flavored so many dishes on that buffet line it's amazing well yeah i was um i happened to be um you know in the right place at the right time when it felt like um wherever i showed up uh, I, I was um meant to be there and and it was the you know i, I was led to those places where I did end up at that time and 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 so it had a um, cumulatively it had a totally life transforming uh, 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 you know became that kind of a life transforming experience for me when all those things were put together but uh, you know as I mentioned like attending Woodstock and mm -hmm, sailing mm -hmm. on the Clearwater with Pete Seeger and his, his um, folk singing friends. And all of that um, led to also to meeting Joseph Campbell, who mm -hmm. um, that at that point he wasn't as, hadn't become popular yet. And I, yeah. I met him at a time in my life when he was able to explain the what everybody knows now as the as the journey of the hero the mythological mm -hmm. journey mm -hmm. of the hero he explained that in a way when i was sitting in a in in um, the cooper union hall listening to him talk he explained it in a way that made total sense to me because i was living that pattern at the time at that time in my life and then he became afterwards he became a mentor and mm -hmm. i spent a number of times visiting with him in his home where we talked even more in detail about that pattern. So I, I was not only living that pattern at that time in my life without really knowing it until I met Joseph Campbell. Mm -hmm. He helped me understand that even more. And, and that really, that the recognition of what that was and, and is not only for me, but for all human beings that really set um, the foundation uh, for for the rest of my life, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. academically, professionally, and, and uh, ultimately what has led to this latest book as well. 
Fantastic. It's wonderful to have someone to be able to help you sort of rearrange the puzzle pieces and everything to mm-hmm. sort of uh, lay it out uh, accordingly. How did right. photography fit into the journey of discovering who am I right. and you know, why am I here and your purpose, so to speak? Yeah, that's an interesting one. In, in, a, in a way, it's kind of a side thread throughout my life, but still an important one and one that really fits um, centrally mm-hmm. uh, in in uh, who I am. Because that that really goes back to my early childhood interest in being in and, and learning from nature. So photography allowed me to see even more closely and more deeply the beauty of nature around me to preserve it and to make it accessible to others. And even though I was a a high school photographer, I did all kinds of photography then, whatever needs to be taken for the school paper and stuff. But my real interest was in landscape and nature photography. And I, I came back to that in college when I got my first photograph published in a local newspaper of the sand dunes and the beach near where I lived then. But photography for me has always been about connecting to the beauty of nature around me and wanting to share that with others and, and, and just um, passing on the, uh, the, the, the um, amazing mystery and beauty of the, of the living universe around me. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcasts available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Teachers Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixlap, Podchaser, ListenIn, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. December's theme is Wrapping the Europe with joy and happiness. The magazine offers stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. My guest for this morning is Robert Atkinson, PhD. Robert is an award-winning author, educator, developmental psychologist with passion in the studying of the connectedness of the human family. He's also the founder of One Planet Peace Forum and Story Commons, an internationally recognized authority on life story interviewing, a pioneer in the techniques of personal myth-making and soul-making, and a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle, a project of the Source of Synergy Foundation. Robert has authored nine books, and his books on life story telling the gift of stories, principle and spiritual applications of autobiography, life stories, and personal myth-making, and the life story interview has been translated into Japanese, Italian, and Romanian, and are widely used in personal growth and life-reviewing settings. Robert and I are having a conversation about his remarkable life's journey and his latest book, A New Story of Wholeness, an experiential guide for connecting the human family. Bob, what is your definition of wholeness? Uh, yeah, that's a really important one. It's always, it's always uh, important to, to have a kind of a common understanding mm-hmm. of, of the definition of the words we're using. So um, <laughs> if, we, if we really think about it, wholeness is all there is. But there are a couple of problems in understanding this. First, like the moon we tend to see it in its pieces first. New moon, mm-hmm. waxing moon, crescent moon, first quarter, and so on. But the moon is always the whole moon. And secondly, we can barely, if ever, really grasp the entirety of wholeness. We may not still even know the extent of the wholeness of all there is. But one of the best ways of grasping wholeness is by how we experience it. So wholeness is best known by the qualities it expresses or encompasses. So I like to define wholeness as being experienced in the qualities of completeness, harmony, Mm -hmm. balance, and unity, 
within all the parts of a whole. That's how I would define wholeness as we experience it. And there are various levels of whole systems that coexist as interdependent subsystems within a greater whole and are designed to maintain their own wholeness within that greater wholeness in motion. So it can be pretty complicated on one level, but also quite uh, practical on another level when we think of it as the qualities of completeness, harmony, balance, and unity. Totally agree. What's fascinating about it is that it's just the idea of sometimes we take it for granted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just amazing because a lot of things that we just go through the motions and we really don't think much about it, and that's what happened. Why did you write A New Story of Wholeness, An Experiential Guide for Connecting the Human Family? Yeah, this is, this book is really a synthesis of a lifetime of work in mythology, mysticism, storytelling, psychology. And I, re- I really wanted to identify and uncover a pattern that's within our unconscious and that emerges through our experiences to guide our evolving consciousness, to transform our lives, to keep our focus on the wholeness of all things, and to keep humanity on its evolutionary path. So it was, it was written to illustrate not only the universality of this pattern, but also to guide us in becoming the whole beings we are meant to be, who recognize that this inner transformation that we go through, sometimes maybe without even noticing it, serves a greater purpose in preparing us to be transformers of society as well. So so the book is written to provide a clearly focused set of guidelines that helps everyone identify, express, and share their own story of transformation as a vital part of the process of global transformation. Right, right. So true. What the first thing that hit me was wholeness is in, I guess, I better not say two or three words, but in a nutshell, basically, we are living in a closed system, whether we like it or not. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's no way to break out of the wholeness that we're part of. Precisely. <laughs> and, there's no way, and there's no way to really separate ourselves from it either. Right, right. And that's the difference, you know. I, I think a lot of times, like I say, we take it for granted, like, you know, what I can see is that's it. Whatever I don't see don't exist, and that's not necessarily the truth. Right. And we have to get in the habit of seeing beyond the scene, seeing beyond what's just right in front of us mm-hmm. to what's mm-hmm. beyond. I mean, you know, we all know one of the most um, uh, um rewarding kinds of experiences we have is when we happen to be out at night and we just glance up to the sky and and what we Mm -hmm. see in the sky just takes our breath away. I mean, you know, to, and and that, that's always there, even though we only see it at night in the dark, but it's always there. And it's always part of the wholeness that we're always part of as well. That's correct. Because, we don't think about it that way, though. <laughs> and I don't think that I don't think uh, I may be wrong here. But I've been out of I've been you know the field of academia in the sense that actually in physically in high school, college, or whatever you want to call it, for a very long time. Mm. I don't think there's anything out there that truly sort of teach that the the, the connectivity, so to speak. Right. Yeah, it's all it's all in the way we see reality, what we think of as reality. And um, what we need to be doing really is um, changing our relationship with reality. Because if we if we think that we're only related to what's um, or or connected to what's right in front of us, mm-hmm. whatever that might be, or the people right next to us, there's so much more beyond that that we're also connected to. It's just a matter of expanding our view and, and looking at and for the wholeness of it all rather than 
letting any of the parts of it that we might see and, and tend to focus on become the um, the, the primary uh, matter that that um, that directs our our um, not only our attention but our actions. So if we shifted our focus to that greater whole that includes all of the galaxies above us at night, that would shift how we relate to everybody right next to us as well. So true, so true. Please give us a short synopsis of the book. Yeah, so there are three main parts to the book. Uh, the first part is uh, three chapters that explore the meaning of, of the universal process, and that looks at the uh, primary principles of evolution, consciousness, and wholeness. And then the second part lays out the pattern of the process with three chapters explaining the three main parts of that pattern. And I call those three parts a call to wholeness, path of purification, and the return to wholeness. And then the third part of the book is the guidebook part that really offers the uh, keys for the process and all the writing exercises needed that provide all the uh, roadmaps, tools, understandings for identifying and telling your own story of living into wholeness. Wonderful. I love the book in the sense that there's so much nuggets, so many nuggets of wisdom in it, and it's really fascinating. What is a unitive narrative? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good one, too, because that's where I kind of start off in the um, in the preliminary, the, the introduction of the book, to um, provide the context that's needed for understanding our own story and the collective story that we're all living into today. So first of all, um, definition. coming back to definitions again, a narrative can be synonymous with story as both are a natural process we use to make sense of the world and our experiences in it. But uh, narrative is also uh, refers specifically to the form, structure, or pattern of an ongoing story that an ongoing story is told in. So we're familiar with that basic structure of story mm -hmm. from our from our earliest lives, beginning, middle, and end. But there's a much deeper level to that pattern. And hidden within the structure of story itself is a formula for transformation. So now we can think about all good stories following the pattern of beginning, muddle, and resolution. And this is a pattern that we can become more familiar with to better clarify and emphasize the meaning in the story, as well as understanding how the story itself that we live and then tell, how that facilitates a process of transformation that keeps us moving along the trajectory intended to guide us from separation to union or wholeness. So the muddles or challenges we face represent the core of the pattern that brings the process of transformation to its completion or resolution. And if we want to take another minute on this, I'd, I'd like no, to uh, share yes. with you and the readers the, uh, yeah. <coughs> uh, there, is a, <coughs> there is a storyteller's short history of the world that reveals not only this formula for transformation, but also where we are right now in the evolution of narratives. So this story goes, there was a time when people gathered to share stories that embodied the values and principles they lived by. These stories held the community together and gave them a shared purpose. They were unitive narratives, essential to their individual and collective well-being. Then there came a time when communities expanded, spread out, became more diverse, and experienced conflict and disorder. Out of this discord emerged divisive narratives that maintained separation. Today, as we approach a consciousness of global integration, a new story of our wholeness is needed to frame this interconnectedness. 
it's time to come together again through unitive narratives to share our own stories of living into wholeness. So this is a concise history of the world of mm-hmm. how stories mm-hmm. evolve over millennia. And I think it illustrates that uh, nothing may be more vital right now than a healing vision that guides us toward wholeness. And that mm-hmm. healing vision is, is in unitive narratives. We can, um, this, this multi-millennia long process of the evolution of narratives uh, can be observed in the formula of good narratives. But during the time that we're still living in, that that um, formula was truncated mm-hmm. into beginning followed by muddle. Right. There was that was that was incomplete. Uh, there was a, that was an incomplete version of the meaningful stories left. Um, where the stories were, were left um, uh, left things separate and unresolved. So we can we can also observe that humanity started out with with unitive narratives, those which resulted in a resolution to a model, and at the same time completed the intended process of transformation. Mm-hmm. So when divisive narratives were introduced. Humanity became separated and has remained so. It's crucial to remember that the language we use can be a catalyst to the evolution of our consciousness, just as the narratives we use to define us can be unifying. Mm -hmm. So consciously choosing language that comes from and speaks to the heart carries the power to heal the wounds of centuries. And that's what unitive narratives do they will heal those wounds that we've carried with us for generations and generations. Totally agree. Again, it comes back to the concept of what sort of commonality that we all share. When we focus on that, it brings us together. Does that mean that we have things that we dislike? Obviously. I mean, if you break it down from my concept to the concept of, you know, everything starts at the nuclear family itself. Forget about the community or the neighborhood, right. much less the world. Uh, even twins have certain likes and dislikes <laughs> among themselves. Right. So does that mean like, okay, no, you're no longer my twin? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Yeah, and no, so, that's a good point. That's really a good point because it really is about, I mean, what, what wholeness is about and, and living into our own wholeness. Mm-hmm. What that's really about is, is um, recognizing that that can only happen with unity and diversity. Right. That all of those differences that exist in the world are not going to go away. In fact, if you look at the, I mean, there's so many great examples of how and why diversity is such a crucial part of nature. I mean, just if we just look at the human body, we know the human body is made up of many, many very different organs and cell structures, and mm-hmm. but somehow they've learned how to work in harmony and in balance with each other to make a healthy human body, and that's what the the human family is is needing to do right now is to mm-hmm. recognize that we are different and diverse, but that that diversity is is what enriches us and and makes us even more than who each of us are separately or individually. So it's it's really about um, bringing those diverse parts together in the harmony and balance that they were meant to express as we can see in so many other versions of that same process throughout all of nature on all levels of of um, local i mean um, micro from the cell level to mm-hmm. macro level to the cosmos mm-hmm. it's all um, it's all a um, 
a wholeness made up of differences, but it's still a wholeness in motion that creates a harmonious, balanced whole. And, and that's what we're in the process of, of um, learning now as a human family. I mean, we, we are entering the unitive age when mm-hmm. a vision of reality as one, that when that will become commonplace and only narratives guiding us toward that wholeness can serve that evolutionary impulse. So, so again, unitive narratives, those that are organically complete the process of transformation by helping us unite the opposites around us and address the only those will address the needs of our time. So unity, even though the whole is so diverse, has so many different aspects and parts to it, unity is the primary characteristic of the wholeness of all things. And unitive narratives are essential now to bring the human family mm-hmm. back together one story at a time. Right. So true. What is an innate pattern for living into wholeness? Yeah, well, so that's can, that's a number of ways that we can look at that because it, it's a it, it, there is an innate pattern for living into wholeness that can be found in um, many ways of knowing from from mythology to mysticism to storytelling to rites of passage to psychology and in psychology, for example, um, Carl Jung would would see this um, pattern in the archetypes that are buried in our unconscious that emerge and become evident to us through our life experiences. And so in the book, I've kind of taken that as well as what we can see in those other ways of knowing that I just mentioned. I've, I've identified a blueprint or a pattern that is designed to guide us through the process of transformation. And this blueprint is made up of three parts. Uh, First that I call call to wholeness, Mm -hmm. and that involves waking up to something beyond what we've known, embarking on a journey to a higher consciousness, uh, and that includes other motifs like um, recognizing that we are being guided, protected, and assisted on our way, uh, finding new challenges as they appear, and and even um, recognizing a need to uh, withdraw or retreat or turn inward and cut ourselves off from the world at a, for a time. And then that leads into the second part, the path of purification, which is when our consciousness continues to expand, we open up to greater challenges, we um, more guidance and assistance coming our way, we discover more of our innate capacity where we become more focused on integrating, unifying, and healing all parts of ourselves to reclaim our innate wholeness. And through that, through living in the realm of dualities, as we all do in this world, mm. our consciousness of wholeness, <clears throat> our consciousness of wholeness grows stronger. And uh, we, we, um, <clears throat> We continue to face challenges and tests and temptations, but they all serve to solidify our values and standards. And that leads to our own um, uh, renewal and rebirth, as we were talking about earlier. And, and then the third part is the return to wholeness, where we become focused on sustaining the unitive consciousness that we've become convinced of as the highest reality and we continue to to uh, strive to live with that awareness and that's facilitated by knowing that we've we've been through our struggles and we've transcended temporal boundaries and and then our challenge becomes uh, not only our challenge but our desire becomes sharing what we've learned from that with others so that we we pass on our understanding to others. Very interesting. And that's very, a, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, a really that's what the book goes into great detail on and and provides a number of worksheets to um, mm-hmm. 
to identify those three, the elements of those three parts in everyone's story. The number one question would be, why are our stories essential and relevant? Yeah, well, they're, they're, um, for one thing, I mean, the first, there are many things, I think, that, that make our stories mm-hmm. essential and relevant. And, and first of all, though, we are, we, we need to recognize or remember that we are the storytelling species. I mean, I don't right. know if there are any other species who <laughs> uh, tell stories the way we do, but, um, but knowing that and and being familiar with the pattern mm-hmm. that I just described, it, it's it's essentially a pattern of transformation, and it, it does repeat itself over and over in our lives. Sometimes uh, th- there might be a uh, there might be one time in our lives when we experience that to a much greater degree than other times, but but it is a, a cyclical repeating pattern that leads us further and further along in our, in the evolution of our consciousness. And so that's a, that's a big um, reason why our stories are, are essential and relevant, but there are others too, that when we, um, when we reflect deeply on our own experiences, that, that, that enhances and expands our, our, our understanding and meaning of what the experiences are are for in our lives, and and also um, a next step in reflecting about uh, reflecting on our life experiences and turning them into mm-hmm. a story would be would be writing them down, giving words to our right. to our thoughts. That uh, writing them down brings great clarity and understanding, as well as self knowledge, and and great and gaining greater self confidence from our own experiences. So there's, um, it, it, uh, it also can help on, um, uh, bringing into sharper focus our, our sense of personal identity. I mean, when we know our story, when we know our story deeply, it really confirms who we are at our deepest, deepest level. So there's, there's so many more, you know, ways of, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. ways that Mm -hmm. stories are so important. Um, it, it also can, I mean, one of the other ways that I should mention of why they're essential mm-hmm. and relevant is that when we know and share our own story with others, that's what connects us deeply mm-hmm. to others. Because right. in that process of sharing our stories, the person who is hearing our stories, uh, our, our story is able to relate it to their own experiences and that creates a deep, lasting uh, connection between two people. If it's done in groups, between groups of people, right? And that that process of sharing our stories um, not only defines who we are, but but also connects us to others. Mm-hmm. However many we are able to share our stories with. Right. So that that's another reason why I provide all of the uh, the worksheets that take us through mm-hmm. the steps and and also how, how the uh, three parts can be merged together as one flowing story mm-hmm. that we can tell and share. And, and as we do that, that's going to, as I said, bring the, uh, bring the human family back together one story at a time. It's fascinating. I love the book and the concept simply because it reminds me this, when my mom was traveling the world, and I say that because, like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I told her, Mom, go travel, see the world, right? <laughs> and yeah. the beauty of what you just mentioned, uh, and, and when we talk about food, like, say, we all eat the common food, like chicken, pork, or beef, or, uh, you know, the, the basic mm-hmm. fundamental things, right? Fish. Yeah. However, different countries, different culture, cook it differently. Right. And so... The idea is that the commonality is it's a piece of chicken. So right. when you travel elsewhere, you want to see how they prepare it, how they use their own spices and so forth. We're not talking about trying to eat uh, snake meat or anything like that, something exotic. Right. <laughs> the basic fundamentals that you are familiar with, and that 
it's fascinating because based on what you're talking about in the cost of sharing, we all have our stories. And I remember years ago running into someone that says, what's your story, young man? <laughs> and I was like, uh, because what that person is looking for, the connection, sort of similarity, experiences and things that we encounter. And in this case, like I, said, I was trying to use my mom's uh, example because we all eat fish. The question is, how do you eat your catfish versus how the way I eat my catfish? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that, that's a great example. I, I like that one that you just used about food because um, that that also illustrates the um, <clears throat> the different levels at which we can um, understand and connect with each other. <clears throat> That that example of food is such a great one when it comes because that's what gives us um, the uh, the differences in all the world's folk cultures that there are, um, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's food or or anything else around uh, anything else like that. Each culture has its own version and variety on on um, and and that's really so it. it we can also think of of this, uh, uh, you know, with the metaphor of of, mm-hmm. um, cul- of um, culture as an iceberg. Mm-hmm. You know, we only see what's on the surface, right? In a, you know, usually, and with an iceberg, is about eighty or ninety percent below surface that you know mm-hmm. that we don't see, and it only takes that that direct interaction with others, especially across cultures. To, to be able to learn what it is about food, that, uh, using that example again, that is below <laughs> the surface that, that we don't see that's yeah. not obvious. And in doing that, we, we get below the surface of chicken or beef or fish, whatever right. it may be, that we're, right. that's on that, um, on that visible level. And when, when we get to that um, below the surface level, of that iceberg of, of um, cultural variations, that is what um, connects us even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though there are differences, those differences uh, still connect us as as members of the human family. Uh, it's a great example, though, of um, food being having so many varieties of, of ways that they're that it's prepared in different cultures. Wonderful. Please tell us about the various organizations you founded and how are they currently contributing to building a better world? Yeah, so um, the first one, um, Story Commons, is an outgrowth of what I started at the University of Southern Maine. I carried that on after after that, but it's it's um, the, uh, the the tagline that on Story Commons, which if anybody goes there. We'll see it, um, it, and that website is storycommons.org. The tagline is connecting the human family one story at a time. It provides a complete storytelling toolbox of over 50 types of stories that we all can tell and share with each other. And they are, they are universal types of stories that we all have our own version of. So the, that website is built to um, have people um, explore the uh, the, the uh, rich content and to submit their own stories and to engage with each other in conversations about how stories connect us. Uh, that can be seen on the website easily. And then One Planet Peace Forum is the other one, and that's um, – mm-hmm oneplanetpeaceforum.org. Uh, that's a, an annual gathering um, that um, offers a universal platform for an annual interdisciplinary, interspiritual gathering for living into a culture of peace. And we do that by having a, spending a weekend together um, with, with keynote presenters and, and short peace talks by experts and uh, many fields, many disciplines to, to arrive at um, a better understanding of what's involved and, and what it's going to take for us as a, 
uh, on the local level, uh, uh, wider uh, regional, state, mm-hmm. national, and, and global level to live into a culture of peace. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. Where can someone go to buy your books, get more information about your events and workshops, and keep up with your latest happenings? Yeah, so uh, the book is on Amazon and all online booksellers, as well as all local bookstores. You can have your take your choice there, whichever your favorite way of um, finding books. And, and it's also described in a lot more detail on my website, <coughs> excuse me, which is um, robertatkinson.net. And that has a lot of um, detail and blogs. And it will also, um, I'll be updating my my um, events section soon with some with some workshops that are coming up based on the book. And they'll all be on my website eventually, too. Wonderful. What is next for you? Well, just uh, more of this kind of thing and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and workshops um, around in various areas, um, many of, some of which will be online, so they would be available to anyone anywhere. When, and when there is a workshop online, uh, you can find out about that on my website. Bob, when you look back with all the things that you have been very fortunate to flavor, right? Because you have traveled, you met wonderful people that make impacts and the ripple effects of their impact actually somehow cross over and created synergies all over the place. If you look back in time and the experiences, the flavor that you have had, what would be the most pivotal moment in your life in your personal journey? The most pivotal, well, I mean, I have to um, think of that time that I mentioned in my mid-20s when I began mm-hmm. having these series of adventures. It wasn't any one moment, although I could trace a line of experiences back to maybe one moment, um, you know, including my grandmother's influence and, and mm-hmm. um, meeting Pete Seeger and then meeting Joseph Campbell. Those are all a series of, of um marker points on a on a long thread mm-hmm. but um but and and that time in my life that i mentioned my mid-20s i do have a, a memoir written about that so that's available too on amazon it's called year of living deeply that's what i would um if anyone is interested in learning mm-hmm. more about all of those experiences and how they became a pivotal uh process in my life that, that's all in my memoir year of living deeply Fascinating, fascinating. So do you feel you have arrived to where you need to be? Well, it's, uh, there's always uh, <laughs> more. Uh, the, the, the journey is always ongoing, and, and I've got more of the work to do that I have been talking about, and uh, that mm-hmm. includes workshops and, and uh, a lot of my work through um, evolutionary leaders and other ways. So, yeah, it's always ongoing. Wonderful. As we close the hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, yeah, I'll keep it really brief and concise, but uh, I think a lot of what I've said can be um, kind of um, recipe down to, uh, in all your thoughts and actions, Remember to look upon all things with the eye of wholeness. Wow, that's profound. <laughs> Very profound. Bob, <laughs> thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks, Wednesday morning, January 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time, U.S. My guest will be Sarah Janes. Sarah is an enthusiastic, lucid dreamer since childhood. She is a writer, public speaker, and sleep hypnosis, hypnosis workshop facilitator. She runs Explorers Edictology, an online lecture series with Carl Hayden Smith 
operates the seventh ray, a virtual uh, reality mystery school. She's also the producer and co-host for Anthony Peak Consciousness, our podcast. She's currently working with Robert Sodowski and the British Pilgrimage Trust to reinvigorate the practice of dream incubation at sacred sites. Sarah and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, Initiation into Dream Mysteries to kick off the new year. She'll be joining us from the United Kingdom. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMomsKittenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a very blessed holiday. Bob, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed holiday season and, very, and a very happy 2023 to you, sir. Thank you, Johnny. It's been great uh, talking with you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bob, Johnny, Tan with, from My Mama's Kitchen. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure to have you on the air. Uh, very insightful stuff. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> good, good, good. I, You know, what's interesting is that I... Like say your book, there are a lot of commonalities, and we talk about this. Like you talk about the, uh, you know, I use uh, every. We all have our different approaches in how we trying to convey to people that hey, we are a global community, <laughs> and and so.